You've reached Advanced Fashion Disruption Season 2. Phone a fashion friend in progress. One moment I will connect you. Hmm. Who knows how long we'll get to talk today? Hi, how are you? (laughs) Technology is always awesome until it doesn't work. And then it sucks and uh, makes everything harder, as we're all finding out in the technological age. But I appreciate having the technology. Uh, I'm actually calling you today from um, my actual workspace. I am doing the most... um, Ridiculously time-consuming um, job. It's an alteration or a repair, actually. Uh, I'm going to turn on my camera so you can see this. So this is my friend, Dude Bro. Apparently doesn't know how to put stuff in his cargo short pockets without ripping them. Both of them on the same side. I'm like, well, had you considered putting... No. So I'm going to... Um, Line the pockets on the back side with denim. Yeah. So that it reinforces. But then, like, I don't want pillowing denim in the pocket. So I've got this pattern that I'll sew, uh, which will make the pocket look quilted from the outside. And it'll strengthen the whole. But I've got four of these to do. Uh, And I'm like, well. And I told him, I said, "Your, your repair could be more than your shorts. Uh, he's like, that's fine, whatever, whatever. I just need him to work. Um, I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, it'll probably take four hours. It's like a 60 bucks a pair of shorts. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll knock some of that off because he's been a good friend. He he takes me places and, uh, you know, grabs me food. And he, he never has hesitated to call and see if I need something. So I'll probably knock it down and charge him 70 bucks for both pairs instead of 120. Yeah. Yeah, some people don't realize, like, because of these planned obsolescence or the purchasing of fabrics that you know that the function will turn it obsolete, maybe that's also planned. I don't know. I think that that semantics is really weird um, for that particular thing. Um, I mean, but- I mean, these are good J Crew. It's a good heavyweight. This, this, th- my friend just puts too much uh, stuff. Maybe a big wad of keys or something in the cargos, and both of them were in the same spot. Um, but you know, I, I think one of the things that uh, that young designers and young people who are going to go into the apparel industry should consider is that we're not too good to sew anything. Um, I, I have gone hungry in the past because people who needed a hundred or two hundred dollars worth of alterations done thought that I was too good for that kind of work. And my take has always been that I am not too good to make any kind of money, and will always be happy to make money. So I would tell you, if you're going into the industry, uh, well, alterations are definitely not my favorite thing to do. Um, they are good money. But you kind of have to explain to people. I'm, I will actually show him the amount of threads that I had to pull out. Like, I'll, you know, just pulling the threads out before I re-sew takes 30 minutes, an hour, depending, because they have four, four pockets. So, you know, 10 minutes a pocket just to pull the threads out. And why do we want to pull the threads out before we re-sew a thing? Well, we don't want the threads to get caught up in the uh, bobbin hook or um, God help you if you try to take your your cut threads out after you've sewn because now you've sewn them in 
and you just have a mess. So uh, you guys just be willing. If you can sew it, uh, you'll always have work because I don't think that even in the worst economies, I get a lot more repair and alterations and mending jobs when the economy sucks because people who can't afford to have new things made need to have old things repaired or refurbished or renovated. Um, get a lot of jobs renovating wedding dresses. That's a great one. Um, and sometimes, and, I, and I'll tell those customers, it, it would probably be easier for me to start from scratch because i got to take this whole thing apart to cut it down to make it work for you. But, but you know, there's sentimental value in that fabric for them because grandma wore it or great-grandma wore it on the Mayflower while getting married to, you know, there's always some story uh, mm -hmm. and emotional connection. So some people are willing to pay, but always be upfront. I always tell people sometimes um, it may, you know, it may not be worth it for you to alter this or to fix this. I'm doing a coat for a guy. It's his favorite coat. Uh, he ripped out one of the uh, front pockets because he's a business owner uh, from um, New York and uh, had a pistol. Pistol ripped out the coat. And he's got a rip in the seam. And I'm like, this is, I've got to go in through three different places in your liner because it's well made, but they've sewn the liner to the coat in several places so i can't just go up and and flip it out and fix it and flip it back and then hand sew it i've got to go into three different portions to sew uh and correct his coat but to him it's worth it you know i told him this could be like 120 bucks with because i'm charging you 30 bucks an hour and he's like it's my favorite coat done mm -hmm. so you know the especially joy of if you wear it every day or almost every day then that amortizes very quickly into something very that is quickly. extremely yeah. affordable you know right and i and i tell people like that if they have something that isn't available anymore when this dies and it will uh, especially if you wear it often uh don't throw it away uh, we can take it apart and use it as a pattern and create a whole new one just like it uh, mm -hmm. a wool coat gets to be a little more difficult because you've you've got to have the ability and the knowledge to reblock the wool so that you're not working with super stretched out wool before you make the pattern, or you've got to be able to make the pattern out of stretched wool and have the sense to look at it and tell where your pattern is. It should not be at that angle. This is the wool stretching, but I usually block the coat back out and get the wool back in shape before I take it apart. Anyway, I'm doing you a do reconstruction. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually doing um, a reconstruction on a pair of pants and um, I needed to talk to you about some really, um firm uh knit uh for a trouser super cute um but nice. yeah like it's their favorite pants they you know want to have multiple pairs of them they know it's not going to be super um budget friendly because um these were an old ponty knit and um while the integrity is still there um there's still some issues from the draft from it and I so we know that we that might go through fitting iterations just because finding something of similar stretch quality to that yeah <clears throat> do you have uh, you know if, if you give i mean ponty knits generally are, are pretty similar unless they're mm -hmm. really cheap ponty knits most of them have at least 15 percent elastine in them and will stretch and return in about the same ratio um, but I would tell you that if you want a good Ponte, instead of just getting a Ponte, get a Ponte Roma. And it'll change it from being a poly nylon 
uh, elastine or, or polycotton nylon elastine or poly nylon. Yeah, uh, some combination of poly nylon, uh, cotton and, and elastine. And it'll add a rayon to it. And that cellulosic fiber is actually uh, stronger than the cellulosic fiber uh, in cotton. And it's luxer and it's thicker. And because the um, yarns are finer, it can be knit tighter, which makes a beefier mm. knit. And it's yeah. great for women of a certain age who have little cell- cellulose uh, patches that they want to um, diminish through their through their. But yeah, and then there's a there's a ponte caprice, which is I pay twenty five bucks a yard for it. That's my mm-hmm. cost, and I can I can, I'm sure I can get it at that cost. I have to usually buy a minimum, but I would not mind having some more of the black. Um, that stuff is amazing. It's so beefy. It's like 450 or 475 GSM, but it's like a 24 ounce knit and it's got a lot of elastine. So the return is great. The stretch is great. Um, and then, you know, it doesn't stretch out. So it's, it's, uh, and it washes well. I've got some stuff that I've made out of, how might I, oh, I might have some black left. Um, I, I made my own leggings and, uh, uh, pillar skirt for Grace Jones out of uh, Ponte Caprice. It's gorgeous. Mm. God, it's gorgeous. I would like to build a bodysuit for myself and just run around in that in a cape fighting fashion crime. Well, this is definitely a high-end client, so I I would love to talk ab- about that some more. Yeah. Well, I um, went shopping with Danny yesterday, and we stopped by the Pacific Ocean Marketplace, um, which is a grocery here, and I picked up um, a pair of decorative tined snippy scissors. And um, I can't wait to see how they're going to. Aren't those great? I want one. I mean, I here, want, let me see um, if I can uh, get them close to my microphone so you can hear the snip. No, they look I mean, anodized, just, too. They're pretty. They're really, really nice. The the um, pressure on the tines feels great. I'm like, I'm very excited. When I saw them there, I was like, oh, yes. <laughs> no, uh, scissor, scissor excitement is a real thing. I, I, mm-hmm. I occasionally will run across even just little, uh, the right thread clips, the right thread snips are important. And I don't, I don't find the fancier ones to be the best. I find the nice uh, Chinese or Korean made little metal anodized metal ones to be the best. Mm-hmm. I buy those by like, like the two dozen. Um, and the minute they bend or, or Nick or, or, uh, get dull, they just go in the trash. Cause I pay like $2 a piece for them. I know Santa likes mm-hmm. to put them in my mm-hmm. stocking mm-hmm. every year. That is the Santa path. finds a way. Great stuff. <laughs> And I will tell you, I, I use those. Um, I use those most often to open seams. I'll use my ripper oh, to yeah. get the seam started. And then I've got a technique where I sort of have a way of holding those upside down and just clipping right down the seam. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, and these shorts are beautiful. I mean, they're, they're, they are, they are beautifully made. I'm looking at them. They're, they're bar tacked. I mean, J crew puts out a good product. So he, he actually spent a penny on these unless he got them used. These, these were probably originally $150 shorts because they're J crew and American made. Um, which is why I want to, I want to, you know, I could just patch the pocket, but that would look so bad. I think that quilting it and giving it a nice warm will make it look like um, part of the, the design as opposed to a patch job. And then when he wears 
if it wears through in the wash, you'll have a nice, um, nice light blue mm-hmm. denim. And they start. From- and it's going to give the kind of um, wear that he's going to need if he keeps putting that pokey thing in there. <laughs> yeah, that, that, <laughs> in that pocket, this is <laughs> whatever it is. I actually cut the patches out of a pair of uh, Levi five forty fives that I used to wear six forty fives, five forty six, whatever. Uh, and you know, Levi denim it doesn't it doesn't get much better than Levi denim. And these were really handsome, beefy, and and uh, they're now too big. I think did I cut the good pair? <laughs> no, it's okay. If I did cut the good pair, um, oh, actually these would fit. No, no, they wouldn't. They're six sizes too big. I'm like, oh, 54th. Those will fit. I'm mm-hmm. a, like a 46 now. So, um, but I'm thinking about just turning those into some big shorts that I can wear with a big belt and I'll have a pair of like poor boy lunch bag shorts uh, mm-hmm. to, I don't know, I don't know, to, to do what and I wouldn't know. Where would I wish? I don't I, My know, favorite pair of me. jeans when I met my husband was a pair of lunch bag waist jeans and I just thought they were so cool. My little tiny body swimming in these big jeans and, you know, wearing bustier tops. And <laughs> There was a place for it. There was a time for it. Um, well, I, I love, Madonna kind I of love. empowered all of us at that time, right? Yeah. Well, I, I, she, I, she empowered the mainstream, but it was the fags and the drag queens that were empowering Madonna, as mm-hmm. usual. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know the the whole um, newsboy look coming in from the the um, from London with a new wave look that was Banana Rama were doing that and Fun Boy Three mm-hmm. were doing that. So that was stuff. Sue Klaus, designer, um, very simple pieces, but they were all sort of oversized. So she had a lot of lunch bag trousers and poor John sleeves, but her thing was prints. She was, uh, she was the one that did all of the multi uh, religious prints for boy George and culture club. Um, and Sue Klaus is just, I think she's still working. I hope she's still working. Cause she was one of my favorite British designers I, of the era. I wonder if Rachel's done something on her. Shout out Rachel. Shout out <laughs> Rachel. <laughs> shout out Rachel. <laughs> I think it's become a race to see which one of us gets to shout out to Rachel first. I may just start the podcast next week with shout out, Rachel. Good morning, Mrs. Benson. Um, I'll beat you to it. (laughs) Rachel, you beat me to it. Rachel's just one of our favorites, obviously. Um, Such an inspiring friend. Uh, It's good to have those in times like these when everything is just such a bloody fucking challenge. And I don't know why it has to be, but it's just the way it's been. Um, going to Austin on uh, Friday and I haven't been in Austin since I left Austin in April of uh, 2019 my mom has COVID dad brought her COVID (sighs) home from his excursions out to with his idiot friend Um, so she just got over pneumonia yes she just got over pneumonia now she has COVID so we're all (sighs) We're all a bit on pins and needles, um, yes. obviously. But uh, Dad says that so far she doesn't even seem to act like she has much of a, like, even a cold. Um, and sometimes, you know, relief. sometimes old ladies surprise us. And it's possible because, uh, you know, um, her immune system can't go into overdrive, being that it was just in a big, huge battle. So that may work to her advantage. 
but hopefully she'll be okay. But if not, I'll be going home for a wedding and a funeral. Hey, look, look, look. You got to prepare for everything in this fucking life. You know, like the only guarantee really is that you come in and you go out. That's it. Right. That's the. And if you're old enough, you'll pay taxes, but somebody might pay taxes on you or get a tax credit for you. Who knows? Got got your luxury tax going on. No, I, I, uh, I, I have said that my whole life. I don't know why people are so freaked out. You know, that is one thing. You know, you're going to die. You don't really know much else in life. Once you're born, you know at some point you're going to die. And I think that the important thing is which route your parade takes between uh, the coming in and the going out. You know, do you do you stop the parade because you hit bad weather? Um, do you pay someone else to march the parade for you? Or do you just march joyfully to your own tune the whole time? So, uh, yeah, my mom is... Um, 74, 75. She's not old, certainly not by our family standards, but for a woman who was told that she'd be lucky to live to be 35, um, it's all been gravy. Uh, She's had two NDAs herself. So um, if she got an extra 40 years out of it, I'd say that that's that's more than any of us anticipated. I mean, she was teaching us she had such bad Crohn's disease when we were growing up. By the time we were like eight and nine, we could keep house and cook our own meals because mom was afraid that she would die and um, leave kids that couldn't take care of themselves. And certainly my father wouldn't have been able to. So uh, my sister gets really emotional about it. Like she gets really, I don't think I've had a phone call with her in the last year where she doesn't mention, you know, mom could die or dad could die. And I'm like, I give in. That's okay. Tawny. Mom is going to die, and Dad is going to die. It's not a could situation. It's a when situation. And uh, that's, uh, you know, uh, we've been very lucky. We're lucky to be in our mid-50s. Well, in my sister's case, she's in her way late 50s. She's, like, pushing 60. I'm a, I'm a, a, a year behind her. Um, but, like, to be almost 60 and still have living parents, that doesn't happen often. We're very fortunate, and we may have our parents for another 20 or 30 years apiece. Both of them have uh, grandmothers who live to be 100 or more. So I don't know. I'm not too concerned about it. If she goes, she goes. I mean, it would be considerate of her to go while I'm there. Save me a trip. I, I'm just like, it would be just like her. She's a Virgo, and she's very budget oh conscious. God, well, well my, my son is coming for the wedding. I'll just go ahead and die so uh, he doesn't have to travel twice. Although it would also be like her to get COVID so that I have to stay and take care of her and not come home. That would also be And you'd be have very, COVID one more time. Yeah, that would be very Virgo of her also. Well, no one else can take care of me the way you do. That's true, mother, but I'm going home because I have dogs. <laughs> do you lo- and Virgo mother would say, do you love your dogs more than me? And I would say, absolutely. They are far less mouthy, old woman. No. I'll take her and hail her and let's get you to bed. No, my mom is awesome. She's a, uh, I think a lot of who I am comes from uh, my mom, um, just like it comes from my dad. I, I used to really work hard not to see how much of my dad was in me. Um, you know, I, I, I was in Quebec uh, once and uh, no, it was San Francisco. When I got to San Francisco, everyone wanted it was a common question at the end of the millennium. How do you identify? 
and and now you know we actually put all all of the things we identify and, and this really hot redheaded guy asked me how i identified and i'm like i don't, I don't know with my mother <laughs> he's, he's like oh no no are you straight gay i'm like oh I, yeah i'm i'm a i'm a dirty filthy foul mouth whore cocksucker i mean whatever is that what you're looking for uh, i shouldn't have said my mother first <laughs> I mean, my mom came to my, you'd love my mom, but it would, uh, one of my favorite lines, I, I, you know, I, Megan, you'd totally love my mom, but it would cost you. (laughs) (laughs) Just proceed. uh, Proceed. Just proceed. Uh, Proceed. So, uh, yeah, I I mean, I I used to really, because my dad and I had a lot of uh, issues with each other. We didn't really communicate till he had an aneurysm and I went home and took care of him for a while and then becoming his caregiver and reversing those roles, we repaired our relationship. But uh, sometimes I see so much of my dad and me, it, it, it still kind of is jarring. Like I was reading the paper the other day and I folded it in half and hid it in the middle just because that's the way you, you get your paper. And I'm like, oh my God, my dad does that. He sits this exact same way. <laughs> But so, you know, I, I, I've had amazing parents. They were they were young, uh, 16 and 17 when they got pregnant with my sister. And uh, I guess uh, 17 and 18 or, or maybe 18. And, I guess 18 and 19 when I was born, 17 and 18 when she was born. Um, so they were young and hip. It was the 60s. Um, my dad had an Opal GT sports car. And, you know, we went to... Uh, political events. My parents had friends of all colors and walks of life. So they, they did a really good job for the tools that they had. And neither of them had, uh, both of them had parents who were still raising kids. So neither of them had like the spare parent grandparents to help them out. And in fact, most often my parents in their early twenties were helping their parents. Um, so they, they, I came from some really cool people and I think that they're both storytellers. My dad's a salesman. He paid, uh, the hospital bill when my sister was born, he paid the hospital bill in cash from selling greeting cards door to door when he was 17. And by the time I came along, he was a fuller brush salesman and he paid my, my birthing costs in cash from selling fuller brush. So I can sell anything. Uh, when Mark and I were on the road selling calendars every night, my dad would call and he would he would uh, give us the sales meeting and ask us how the sales went and well why did they say no and what did you say, and uh, he spent about six months every night talking to us, really training us to sell those damn calendars. Well, why aren't you selling two for thirty? <laughs> like well, I don't know. We'll try it. Yeah, sell sell ten for a hundred. I'm like, well, so, you know, he, he really, uh, he's a, my mom, same way. She sold jewelry. She, uh, was a bill collector. She's a writer. She worked, uh, for a gentleman that wrote dancing in the streets. They formed a record company together. So I come from these just weird, nutty people. Um, my mom has always definitely been a gig worker and my dad has always been a salesman who jumps to the best product. Uh, and, uh, we're lucky to have them. Mm-hmm. And I know that you have parents also that are still living and you're lucky to have them as problematic as they can be, because let me tell you, uh, they can be problematic. I think this, this is the vengeance. Your vengeance is not that I would have kids like me. Your vengeance is that you're living long enough to do all the shit to me that I did to you. That's the vengeance. 
the the honest meme that I see right now as a parent <clears throat> is like the this grandma grandpa figure that are over at their kid's house just throwing stuff as soon as they come in the front door and their kids are like what are you doing we're like paybacks are hell motherfucker you know and, and it, that's kind of what my kids are like it's just fucking an explosion of shit everywhere and when everybody's organizing skills are compromised it becomes exceedingly difficult to wrangle that and so um yeah like when uh when the parents come to visit it's it's super uh, interesting and special it doesn't happen very often because i don't really have the furniture or house that my parents can navigate in any longer and that's weird you know <laughs> That's just self-defensive, honey. That's just self-defensive. Yeah. You can't come no. over. You can't leave yeah. on your own. <laughs> My dad asked me, he says, well, why did you move back to Detroit? It's it's 1,800 miles away. I said, the answer is in the question. It, it is 1,800 <laughs> miles away. And... Uh, I only have to deal with the crazy on the phone. Uh, it cannot land in my face. So uh, he laughed. And, you know, and I've always said I love my family better from 2,000 miles away. That distance, uh, I think, is healthy for us. I'm a lot of Ben. You might have you noticed in the years that you've known me that I'm very expansive personality. And I'm a whole lot of Benson. And I think it exhausts people. Although I am the child that is prepared to take care of my parents should they need actual taken care of. I would go home and take care of them if that's what ends up being required. Whereas my sister's solution seemed to be, well, we'll put mom in a home. No, no, we, mom will burn the home down. We, we don't want to do that to old people. So I would be the kid to go home and take care of them. Um, I figured that that's the trade I've had. I've, I've owned my time and I've been able to live the life I wanted and not been tied to obligations that I didn't want. So um, if at the end of my parents' life, I am the one that needs to go home and take care of them or move them to wherever I'm at, hopefully not on the verge of homelessness, um, that's what will happen. Mm -hmm. I could live with my parents. I could live with them now. I have earphones. <laughs> I have Bose earphones. <laughs> I mean, I, uh, you know, and you, and you learn too, right? Like you can't move home and live with your parents because that never works. But I have had my mom come and stay with me. And, and while that was problematic, um, we all grow up. And, and uh, now that my parents are in their mid seventies and I'm in my late fifties, we're almost peers now. Yeah, it's you know, definitely not... a different dynamic um, right? the older I get. Um, and when we moved up here, we were living um, at my parents' place. And and I got chosen as the kid that they wanted to be close to as they aged, um, which is cool. Um, but, you know, it's a lot of, I don't know, it's a lot of pressure, Um like a, a lot of um, emotional space um, to honor that aging process. And, and I think a lot of it comes from my mom being a social worker for death and dying. <laughs> and so being around a lot of that talk and normalization of that talk growing up, um, that it's all felt like a very normal process to me 
and um, you know, coming to the fact that my brain functions differently fairly recently. Um, I've had a lot of questions about is my pragmatic view about death and dying, you know, because of the way that my brain works or because I had the exposure that I did growing up. I mean, my parents were friends with the coroner in Austin <laughs> to give you an idea, like the type of conversations that would go on that dinner, you know? Um, so well, like so the answer is yes. You are a product of both <laughs> of those things. No, truly, I, and and you know, I, I appreciate that. I that I I, I once wrote that the true mystery, uh, uh, no, that the be- the true beauty of death is hidden in mystery, so that the living can abide life. Um, death is the pretty part of the journey, people. I've done it twice. It is the most glorious, wonderful thing, and and um, I, I get fearing. I, I think that when we talk about fearing death and the grief process, it's it's not really. Um, it's not really the person that we miss as much as we think it is. Mm-hmm. It is the feeling that we have somehow been abandoned and that we have been um, betrayed. They have betrayed us by leaving and abandoned Or that here. we could have done more in that time. And then the reality is that none of those are accurate. You know, None of those. You do what you do in the time that you have. And, and, uh, you know, do you really want to spend 24 hours a day with your mom so that when she goes, you feel like you got all you could out of her? I mean, she would hate that. You would hate that. Um, I don't know. I, I, I love that you had that experience, Megan. It makes, it makes a lot of sense of a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I think that that pragmaticness is so important. Um, you know, my sister, she really gets herself worked up. And I'm like, well, I, I yes, you're going to, Tawny, one day one of us will get a call about the other. This is inevitable. And, you know, yeah. my curse is going to be to watch all of you die. I came into this life and the only serious issue I've ever had, uh, if you want to talk about woo-woo, past life, resolution shit, I came into this life with an extreme sense of, uh, of, of abandonment. And so my entire life has been um, a series of abandonments. Uh, and I learned from each one. So I, I've always known that I would outlive my entire family and all of my friends, uh, that that was going to be something that I would face and I would finally be left truly alone. And I would then understand what it's like to be abandoned and I could give up that issue and then move on. Mm-hmm. I want to come back as a space whale. I want to come back as a magpie. <laughs> a ma- oh, magpies are awesome. Yeah. No, I want space whale because I don't want to come back here. I want to be a big beast that lives on cosmic dust that just has the ability to soar unfettered throughout the universe and experience all of the beauty. That would be perfect. That would be my idea of heaven, being a big, old, beautiful, sexy-ass space whale. Thank you so much for listening today. It's been Fun of Fashion Friend. You can catch all of our past episodes from Season 1 at AdvancedFashionDisruption.com or whatever listening device that you listen to your podcasts from. Also, while you're on our website, please click on the Patreon button and support this hard work that we have done and compiling random information as we have our phone calls with each other. We also would like you to click on the Angel for Fashion button and support Ukrainian designers. Just because you're not seeing it in the news doesn't mean it's not happening. We want to send as much love and as much energy as we can to them as they're struggling in this creating process during a war. Please be sure to catch our Thursday episode where we phone an industry fashion friend, Puff, 
It's Carol from Ditto Forms. You're going to want to catch this one. There's lots of information here. Um, and if you've ever thought about having a form that fits your body, this is really a spot on company to work with and a really good listen. Thanks so much for your time.